we have seen quite a few references to the fact that there are these opponents, these intruders that have come in and discredited Paul. And Paul has done some defending of his ministry. But that begins in earnest at this point. As he confronts his opponents head on. There's really the tone shifts a lot in these last four chapters. And he deals with the other side of the coin. The Corinthians in general are doing much better. And it's a relief. But there are these that need punished. So it's in Corinthians 10. Somebody want to read 1 to 6. Now I call myself completing with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. For the presence and lowly among you, being absent and more tortured. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some. Think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity into the, into the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So, when he says, now I call myself, I think that's the most emphatic statement of his own identity in any of the uh, letters. Uh, He's really drawing attention. I urge you, I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. Now obviously he's quoting from his opponents. That's the knock on him. He can write a big mean letter, but when he comes, he whips out. You know, they he knows that he can't deal with us. He lacks the courage to face us. But he'll shoot these uh, epistolary letters, arrows. You know, he'll he'll fire away when he's behind a pen. But if he comes here, he knows he's no match for us. He can't deal with us. That's what they were saying. That's kind of interesting. I don't know that we would have had the impression that he was that mild in person. But Paul did not try to show off his authority. Or act like some big shot or tough guy. You know, he said, uh, he urges them by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. You think about the attitude of the Lord. And, and, and that's his approach. Jesus did not try to display his power. And, and he wasn't trying to be a big shot. We shouldn't be either. We ought to imitate the meekness and gentleness of Christ, although for a lot of people, that's going to look like weakness. It's going to look like, oh, well, you must not have much. You must not be much. And the the fact is, Paul can be forceful when he is there in person, and if necessary, he'll show it. He said, I ask that when I'm present, I need not be bold with the confidence with which I propose to be courageous against some. He doesn't really want to have to step out of that character to deal with the problems in Corinth. Don't force me to. Sounds almost like a parent. Don't make me whip you. (laughs) You know, and he's not saying that arrogantly. He really doesn't want to have to rebuke them and, and, uh, uh, you know, front them down or whatever. He, he, he wants to be meek and gentle when he's there. He wants their repentance to spare him the pain of having to prove that he's not so uh, 
he's not so meek when he's face to face sometimes. You know, because he'd have, he doesn't want to have to be stern. And if they'll repent, he won't have to be. So, that, and he says, against some, you know, Paul rarely identifies the false teachers in his letters. That would be to give them too much praise, too much recognition. You know, it kind of reminds me, you remember Paul Harvey, uh, that's dated for some of you, but, but uh, you know, he would tell some outrageous stunt that some not did, and then he'd say, and he would want me to give you his name, and they'd just move on to the next story, <laughs> you know. And uh, that's kind of the way it was with Paul. He, he rarely wanted to dignify these false teachers by actually giving their names. So he just uses the sum, who regard us as if we walked according to the flesh. There were a lot of people who really didn't understand Paul. They just didn't understand what he was about. They tried to look at him with the kinds of attitudes that they themselves had. And he wasn't anything like they were. So he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. You know, Paul's in a spiritual warfare. Satan holds people hostage, and we're in a battle to liberate people's minds and hearts from Satan's influence. But it's not a fleshly battle. Our weapons are not of the flesh. So think about, you know, it's a challenge, I think, to grasp exactly all Paul means by that. But when you try to put together some of the things he says, it looks like fleshly weapons would be things like showmanship, trying to show off his credentials and his resume, eloquence and rhetoric, and uh, showing off his learnings, you know, knowledge of philosophy or theology or whatever, psychological manipulation or whatever. You can see a lot of things. People do a lot of stuff. Just to look good, to look impressive. Paul wasn't a guy interested in, in impressing. You know, he wasn't dressing for success. You know, he wasn't trying to, to be the kind of people that people would remember. Boy, that Apostle Paul, I never. Wow, you ought to hear him. Man, he dresses like a million dollars. And, you know, he used so many big words, I have no idea what he's saying. He's really smart. You know, that kind of stuff. That wasn't Paul. He wasn't wanting that. He didn't want people to exalt him. So he didn't use fleshly weapons. But rather, his weapons were divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses, destroying speculations, and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. So he, he was using the power of God to conquer men's minds and destroy whatever stood in the way of the gospel. The false arguments, the false teachings... The false reasonings. You know, he would, by teaching the truth, he would force the ideas of men to submit to the gospel. That was a battle for minds. It's a battle to, to convince people of the truth. That's really the kind of battle. This isn't fleshly. It's not trying to wow people or impress people. It's trying to show people through the truth what, what, the, what the truth is. And uh, God's God's word is powerful. The weapons the Lord has, they aren't fleshly and they don't impress. But they'll get the job done. And I want you to think about it. How many people have changed their minds and their hearts totally because of the word of God? 
How many people have been going in one direction and they did an about face? How many people have had their hearts and their lives transformed in incredible ways? Because of one thing, the power of the Word of God. It is divinely powerful. It's not going to impress any worldly-minded person. Because it doesn't have that showmanship and pizzazz that the world likes. But it'll get the job done in convincing people with good and honest hearts of the truth. And that's what Paul was seeking. And so he says, we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That's his goal. To bring people's thoughts and thinking under submission to Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. He would resort to strong, severe methods, to strong rebuke, only when all other means had failed. And really what, I'll tell you what it looks to me like Paul was trying to do. He was coming to Corinth. He's going to say that several times. I think he's trying to get the Corinthians themselves to repent and kind of drive a wedge between them and the false teachers. So that when he came and he severely dealt with the false teachers, the Corinthians would have already repented and they wouldn't be in the same category. You know, he is ready to punish. He wants them to be ready by repentance so as not to be punished when he comes. You know, people like usually to show off their power and authority. You know, you've had bosses like that, right? They like to just impress you that we can do anything you we want to. We can tell you off. We can, we can get you fired. We can do this or that. And they just glory in the power. You know, usually the guy who's glorying in the power doesn't have nearly as much as he claims. But whatever. You know, the people who want that. Paul was the opposite. He really didn't want to have to demonstrate his power. He wanted them to repent. He wanted, he wanted to have a pleasant visit. So, but, but if he needs to, he'll do what he has to do. Thoughts and comments. These are more challenging, really chapter 10 and, and some of the other, the rest of this is more challenging. You have to kind of get on a different wavelength. Eric. The only thing that will really change lives and hearts is the gospel. We are very impressed by worldly wisdom. The thing that changes minds and hearts is the gospel. Brethren struggle with that. We struggle to believe that the gospel is what we really need. We think we need all the human you fill in the blank. Learning, wisdom, philosophy, theology, psychology, counseling, whatever you want to go. The thing that changes men's minds and hearts is the gospel. That's what will help people. All this human learning and all these other things that are designed to transform us, they're not going to do the job the gospel will do. We need more trust. In the power of God's word to liberate men from Satan. Yes, Sam.
Well, I think he's ready to punish the disobedience of the intruders when when the brethren themselves have repented and he doesn't have to punish them in the same breath. So he's really wanting them to straighten up by what he writes so when he comes he can just punish those rebels, the the false teachers that have come in. Yes? The gospel will change people. Amen. Acts 7 to 11. You are looking at things as they are outwardly. If anyone is confident in himself, that is, that he is Christ, let him consider this again within himself, that just as he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast somewhat further about our authority, which the Lord gave for building up you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame, for I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his personal presence is unimpressive and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are also indeed when present. Good bit of translational question about the first part of verse 7. But in the New American Standard, you are looking at things as they are outwardly. You're impressed by letters of recommendation, authoritarian manner, oratory. You know, today it may be style, self-assurance, clothing. But the power of the message is not in those external things. It's not in the style of the messenger. It's in the gospel of the power of God. And what the, the authority Paul had, which he had, and he could boast about it if he wanted to, it was for the purpose of building them up, not destroying them. That was that was Paul's, that, the, the nature of his authority was positive, in contrast with those false teachers who were trying to tear up everything Paul did. There were plenty of people in Corinth trying to throw their weight around. Paul tries to tear down false arguments and build up people. So his, his, his role was constructed. Now, he wouldn't be ashamed if he boasted about his authority more. In other words, he's got the authority. You know, if he wanted to show it off, you know, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't, he wouldn't come out looking bad. He's got it. He can, he can, he can, you know, deliver the goods in terms of authority. If, if he wanted to, you know, but he doesn't want to. He is not trying to be a big shot. He doesn't want to impress with, wow, Paul, he's a powerful preacher, man. He can give a rebuke like nobody. 
Wow, you just feel horrible once he gets done with you. He doesn't want that. He wants them to repent so he doesn't have to do that. Now he will. He said, you know, I do not wish to seem as if I would terrify you by my letter, letters, but on the other hand, in verse 11, let such a person consider this, that what we are in word by letters when absent, such persons we are indeed when present. In other words, you know, I want you to remember the same guy who writes those letters is coming. And if I need to, you think my letters are waiting? He could have, he could have done whatever he needed to do. You know, I assume he means in the way of rebuke and perhaps leading them in church discipline. I mean, he blinded Elamus, but I don't assume that's what he's talking about here. But but he can be powerful. He can stand toe-to-toe with them and he can back them down if he needs to. He doesn't want that. He really wants to not have to prove that he has the authority that he has. Now, it's hard for him to write about this because they keep saying, why well, he writes big and tough. But when he comes, he's a winner. You know, so he's saying, my bike, will, my bike will be equal to my bark. You know, I mean, I can do it. You're going you're gonna to call me on it? But he doesn't want to give him ammunition by riding strong, because that's already their, their attack. Uh, he, you know, he can write a big, mean letter. So, so he's kind of caught, you know. He can't say too much in writing before they say, here he goes again. Here he writes this tough stuff. But he'd really like to write enough that they repent so he won't have to use his authority when he comes. Now I want you to think about some applications and just what this means about Paul and us. Paul didn't seek praise. He didn't try to gain attention. He never tried to act tough. He never tried to impress. First Corinthians 2. Paul came with simplicity of manner and teaching. He taught Jesus in him crucified, and he didn't try to display himself. I mean, Paul was a noted rabbi at one time. I assume he had a lot of abilities, and he could have really, you know, been a, been a guy to impress. He didn't want that. He wasn't trying to do that. Um, you know, he didn't have God's authority for his own purpose, to try to enjoy the status that it brought him. You think about Jesus. He came pretty much incognito. He didn't try to put on a show. He wasn't trying to show up. You, you know those apocryphal gospels have Jesus as a kid putting on all these magic stunts with his powers to show off to his friends. You can't imagine Jesus doing that, can you? It's amazing to me anybody ever did. You know, wow. Pretty amazing those apocryphal gospels, some of them. But, but, wow. I mean, you think about everything you know about Jesus. He never did that. He could have. I mean, wow, he could have done all kinds of things. And people are like, whoa, did you see that? Look at him. He wasn't into that. That wasn't his goal. And so, I think we have to really seek to make sure that we're not drawing attention. That we're not impressing. That we're not trying to use the world's techniques to gain power and influence and authority. This is not a technique game. We're, we're doing, what we're doing is in earnest. We're, we're, we're teaching the gospel that will change men. If we have to use some stunt, it's not the gospel. And it seems to me that, that we need more of an emphasis on simplicity. More of an emphasis on the message and not I don't know the term. Not trying to make it sound so slick. 
We're trying to make it communicate. We want the word to be taught plainly, clearly, directly. Help people see what's in it. That's the goal. The goal is always focused on the Lord, on his word, and not on us. Thoughts and comments? Awesome. Think about that in terms of there are so many behind the scenes people in the church, uh, specifically women, that just do so many good deeds that go unnoticed because they're not standing in front, they're not bold in that, you know, just there to be praised and, and just so meek in that, that service that it's really refreshing. Yeah, we've turned being up front into a status thing, you know. Who cares if we do something up front? You know, whether you're in front or behind or wherever you are. You know, we need to serve the Lord. And there's no, there's no glory. I mean, you think about how we even develop jealousies about those things. You know, why did they ask him and not me and all that kind of stuff? It's like, wow, what's our goal? Do we care? You know, he called on him for a prayer. He didn't call on me for a prayer. Why didn't I get called on for a prayer? You ever felt that way? Honestly? You know? Why did he got to ask the lead songs? I can lead songs better than he can. It's like, wow. We really care. You know, what difference does it make? Who does it? The difference, what we're trying to do is do the Lord's work. So, we would rather people didn't see us. They saw the Lord. You see that a lot in Paul here. I just think it's really helpful. Trying to understand Paul. Trying to see his, his attitudes. And, and we just need as much of that as we can. 12 to 18. got all that right that's really good stuff but we're going to have to take it apart a line at a time once you see what he's saying this makes a lot of sense he first of all says we're not bold to even class or compare ourselves with these guys who commend themselves who compare themselves with themselves and find out they measure up so Paul's saying he's really a coward in the area of self-commendation you know, in this game of self-praise, I just don't have to still play. You know, I'm no, I'm no good at that. You know, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even venture to put myself in the same league as these guys. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm old, but I'm not that bold. You know, these guys who write their own testimonials and and who are all the time bragging on themselves. You know, always trying to assess themselves. You know, how many books have they sold? You know, how many likes have they got on their stuff? You know, how many speaking engagements do they have? And you know. He said, we're just not there. I mean, I just can't, I can't, I can't do that. I'm not any good at that. We, we wouldn't even, well, I'm not even the same way. You know, and you realize how foolish that is. I mean, really. 
We set the standard, and then we find we measured up to the standard we set. Or we compare ourselves with each other, and, uh, you know, more people are reading my stuff than reading your stuff. More people came to hear me preach than you preach. Wow. You know, you hope we never even come close to even entertaining that thought. You know? And, and he says, we will not boast beyond our measure. Now, alright, so Paul went to Corinth. He preached the gospel in Corinth. He built up the church in Corinth. Then he left. And some guys came along later who weren't too impressed with Paul and really wanted to kind of be the big guys in Corinth. I don't think they were teaching the right things a lot of times, and they were sure disparaging to Paul. So Paul said, we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure to reach even as far as you. So by Paul's only going to brag about what God's given, the, the, the measure God gave him. He was an apostle to the Gentiles. So when he goes to the Gentiles, he's doing the work God gave him to do. He says, we're not overextending ourselves as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ. I mean, Paul's not bragging about somebody else's territory. Who was it that came with the gospel to Corinth to begin with? You know, Paul's pioneer in evangelism in Corinth established Corinth as a legitimate assignment for him. He's the apostle of the Gentiles. And he's the one who came and brought the gospel to Corinth. I mean, if he brags about what he did in Corinth and the Corinthian church, well, I guess he's got something to brag about. But what happened? Not boasting beyond our measure that is in other men's labors, nor anybody who does that, who boasted what other people have done. Well, you see these false teachers who encroached upon Paul's territory and bragged on the Corinthian church. Can't you imagine? I'll tell you, the report letters that these guys wrote to their supporting churches or whatever they did, or what they wrote in the church magazines or, or the, on the internet, you know, and one thing or another, it was all about, wow, this Corinthian church we've done, God, that, you know, this, this Corinthian church that I'm pastoring. Or this Corinthian church that, that, uh, you know, I'm ministering to, and that, the one, this Corinthian church that I started, you ought to see it while wow, we're up to, you know, how many, ever many members, we've had so many baptisms, so many restorations, and, and, you know, we've got doctors and lawyers and vice presidents, and, you know, and just on and on. You can see it, bragging all about Corinth. Oh, Sam, wait a minute. They just showed up. And suddenly their church and their accomplishment and, and their listing and on their resume is one of their great things. Look at what we did for this church in Corinth. Paul, Paul wouldn't do that. If he was going to brag, imagine that one, but if he was going to brag, he'd brag about what he'd done, not what somebody else did, and claim it for his own. So he's really kind of focusing in on their idea. You know, it's easier to glean from somebody else's field, to claim somebody else's harvest is your own, than to plant and water new territory of yours. They didn't evangelize them. They didn't build them up. They just came in and claimed them and tried to pervert them to following after them. 
You see that? So let me go through that again. You know, verse 13, but we will not boast beyond our measure. But within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned us is a measure to reach even as far as you. For we're not overextending ourselves, as if we did not reach to you. For we were the first to come even as far as you in the gospel of Christ, not boasting beyond our measure. That is, in other men's labors. But with the hope that, as your faith grows, we will be within our sphere, enlarged even more by you, so as to preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you. And not to boast in what has been accomplished in the sphere of another. Paul's hoping that they would grow enough that he could leave them and move forward. How is he going to evangelize other places and pioneer new territories for the gospel when this church is disintegrated? You know, he's pretty much got a babysit Corinth. He doesn't say it that way, you understand. But he's pretty much got a babysit Corinth until he finally gets them strong enough that he can leave them and move on. That's what he'd really like to do. They're costing him a lot of time and energy. You think about, what's the goal? You know, why are we not wanting to grow so much that instead of needing help, we give help? You know, the right thing is that we're not sucking down the best teachers and preachers to come and serve us. We're sending out the best preachers and teachers to go and serve others. You know, every good man who's like evangelizing, preaching in a congregation ought to be working himself out of a job. It ought to be that more and more is being done by brethren and he's got less and less to do there so he can go more and more places and do the work of the Lord. That's what the goal ought to be. Paul really can't do it right now. You know, he can't leave Corinth and grasp these uh, new opportunities because they're just a mess. He said, I really, my hope is, my goal is, is your faith grows and we can preach the gospel even to the regions beyond you. Now, his goal will not be to try to pour in on somebody else's territory. That's not what he's going to do. He wants to go to new places where the gospel's not been heard and preach there. So our goal needs to be to mature so much that we need less and less help and we're giving more and more blessing. Think about you in a congregation. Are you the kind of person that always needs somebody's attention? You gotta, you gotta be babied and coddled and, you know, taken care of and hugged and stroked and whatever and, you know, if you get all the right attention and nobody looks at you cross-eyed, that you're good for a little while. Or are you the kind of person that you don't need people, you know, just always make it over you. You're the one always out there trying to help others, trying to strengthen them, trying to reach other people with the gospel. That's what it ought to be. We need to grow up. We need to be givers, not takers. They just don't, they don't pay much attention to me down there. They just don't help me much. They just, you know, I I need a lot of help. I need, and then nobody ever does anything. You know, that that church where I go, they're just, they're just all self-centered. Nobody, nobody ever connects with me. What are we thinking about? Me? What should I be thinking about? You? The Lord? So, Paul says, but he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. You gotta brag on something, brag on the Lord. And Paul didn't even claim credit for what occurred in his own territory. He realized it was the Lord. 
For it's not he who commends himself that's approved, but he whom the Lord commends. I mean, really, the only thing that matters anyway is what the Lord thinks about it. It really doesn't matter what you think about me. It doesn't matter what we think about each other. What matters is what does the Lord think? You know, it's just like we take so much credit for ourselves. You know, and, and, and I don't think I can get the story quite right, but they tell about, you know, the woodpecker pecking on the trunk of this dead tree, and about the time, that time lightning strikes and the tree falls over. It's like, wow, look at what I did. You know, we kind of like that. We're pecking a little bit, and, and the Lord brings the lightning down and fells the tree, and I'm like, whoa, I didn't know I was that good. You know, wow. Sometimes we have just no vision, no perception. We're not the ones. When great things happen in the cause of Christ, praise God. But don't look at yourself. We are mere servants. We're instruments. And if the Lord can do some work through us, we are thankful for that. We praise Him for that. Because we want work to be done. We don't care if it's through us or somebody else. May God be glorified. And, and may His name be spread. That's what we want. However, that, however the Lord can use us in doing that. Thoughts and comments. Yeah. If we're all trying to get, um, get the same reward of eternal life uh, as everyone here, a reward, by the way, that we don't deserve, then it, it doesn't make any sense as to why we're trying to one up each other as Christians. Yeah. Christianity is not a competition to see who the best Christian is. We should all be doing our best, but there's a difference between doing our best as opposed to trying to yeah, yeah, where you shouldn't be competitive, shouldn't have rivalry. Absolutely. Eric. Exactly. We shouldn't be the kind of people who need that constant attention and when we don't get it, we whine. We ought to be the people who are giving attention and who are helping. And and, and, and we ought to be rejoicing when somebody who's been really working with us is able to move on and work with others because we're doing well. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, Dan said that our, our perspective is so often church-wide and Paul's was kingdom-wide. The, the goal is not, how can we get the strongest, best, most exciting church? You know, how can we get our church to be the best church in the brotherhood? That's not the goal at all. The goal is, how can the kingdom grow? You know, we lament some strong brother moves somewhere else to help in the gospel. Oh, this is so bad. Well, it's great. Praise God that he's able to go and take what what he's grown in to help other people. You know, what if you could just make a church of all the strongest brethren you know and have them all come together? You could be a part of that church. Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, no, that's not what we need to do. We need to be spreading. We need to be taking. You know, I appreciate the fact that when the Holy Spirit told the church at Antioch to take two of their five teachers and send them out, they did. 
That's 40% reduction of the labor force right there. You know, well, wonderful. More places get to hear about the Lord. That's what we ought to want. This idea that we want to hoard them up. I've never been in this situation. But I'm just appalled. What I know of brethren who are capable preachers and teachers that are working in churches that have long been established that maybe have multiple elders and who don't want them ever to go somewhere else and take the gospel somewhere else. No, you got to stay here. You're our preacher. That is not biblical. We work for the Lord, every single one of us. And we ought to rejoice when people can go out and spread the message. I don't care where it is. This is not a matter of, well, we hired him for us. That's just totally against the biblical mentality. Think of the Lord's perspective, not our own church perspective. Comments, questions? Yes, Nate. It's uh, definitely important for us to uh, always know that we're not the best and to realize that and fully admit that. Sure. Yeah, we're never the best. And our goal is to glorify God anyway. If we were the best, we'd never know it, hopefully. Now, we never think in those terms. And we're not, we're not trying to be competitive. We're trying to glorify God and help other people come to it so they can glorify it too. Other thoughts? So, um, chapter 11, verse...